Greetings, humans. Um, today, I'm quite excited to share this podcast. I was just recently interviewed on the Duma Optimism podcast. Uh, I really like this quite new group. Um, they are like Doomers, but they're optimistic. So they think we're near the apocalypse, but they're also doing something constructive. And they're, yeah, I really find them intelligent and fun. So quite a, an exciting new community that's emerging online. Um, yeah, they interviewed me about what we learned from running the micro-solidarity gathering in Belgium a couple of weeks ago. We just had a, a, a gathering of 35 people for a week. So it was like a big, awesome convocation of people. And uh, I learned a lot from hosting that. So the interview is like quite lengthy and quite detailed about what do we think about when we're designing gatherings? How do we produce social fabric? Um, yeah, I found it really useful. I hope, hope you enjoy it. And I'm really grateful to... Ashley and the rest of the crew at Duma Optimist for letting me repost it here. Go follow them. I'll put a link in the description so you can follow their stuff as well. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Okay, everybody. Welcome back to the Duma Optimism podcast. I am here today with Rich Bartlett. Um, and Rich, I want to start by um, having you introduce yourself, your work, um, and then we're going to talk today about micro-solidarity and community building and, and all things insight from Rich. I'm really glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Ashley. I, um, I'm in this funny position where I've been listening to you for hours, but we've never met. So I've got this very fr friendly feeling, but we don't actually have a relationship established. So it's, Not it's, yet, today. It's, it's, really, it's really sweet. Hi, hi, hi. <laughs> um, what's going on? Who am I? Where have I come from? What am I up to? Um, I think it's, I think it is relevant to think some of my history, you know, it's kind of, it's always a question of how far to roll the clock back, but like, um, I'm from New Zealand and my family's European. So like I'm a, I'm a settler um, on, on Aotearoa, the indigenous land. And I grew up in this like um, very intense <laughs> Christian community that was not a cult, but um, only by some technicalities. <laughs> how would you actually um, want to just, how would you define a cult? This is, mm, I think this is important for this conversation. I think if our community had a charismatic leader and it was more um, opaque, then, then it would start to be more like a cult. This was like definitely not a charismatic leader. It had, a, it, had um, um, it was like, constitutional in a way you know like it was governed by uh there's like rule of law which you could challenge and there's that kind of its own system um which feels like there's a system of legitimacy which is not oriented around one person okay um or a couple of people so that makes it like quite a lot more just than than you know a cult usually is that coalescing around one or a couple of people or yeah usually one um and cults usually thrive in the darkness right like they they create a huge amount of opacity that um yeah, all this weird shit can happen because it's out of the civilized separate case of the yeah. neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the distinction is really important. So I grew up in this community that um, had a really, when I say it was intense, it was like, um, my experience of it was that the way that you belong here is you subscribe to a certain quite highly detailed set of beliefs. And we're basically trying to bring everyone to, have the same belief and 
like any question that you could come up with, any question I came up with as like an adolescent, um, it was like it was, there was a pre-existing answer that was already in a book somewhere. You know, like that was the, that was the sort of mentality that there's, there's kind of nothing new. Um, there's the, yeah, there's nothing to discover apart from how to get closer and closer to this, this very objective sense of truth. Mm. Um, and the good part about it was the solidarity, you know, the sense that um, like I, I had this flashback recently that when I was a kid, um, like there's more than, more than 30 different families where like if, some, if something had happened to my parents, there was that more than 30 different families that would have just taken me in and I would have been safe there and they would have taken care of me. And the flashback part was I was, I was like not sleeping and I was actually going through the list of the names of those 30 families and where do they live and what kids do they have and who got married to who and like who moved where and like, like that, um, that extended family tree is, is like something in the back of my memory that I take for granted. Mm. Um, the sense that the sense of belonging, right. You know, like the sense of having a place in, in, um, in these like nested circles, these expanding circles of collective identity. There's like me and my nuclear family and my extended family in my congregation and in the congregation you know there's like the local congregation but then it's in a network of congregations around the country and yeah. then that country network is attached to the globe and that's attached to like this whole communion of the saints that go throughout history and all, all the way into the future it's like i'm situated in time and space and um yeah there's there's like there's just like abundance of care and meaning and purpose in that structure um that's the good part <laughs> the bad part was the way to belong was through conformity um and and I, I left I was kind of like a late bloomer in a way like I left when I was about 20 I got excommunicated 19 or 20 or something like that um which is that the formal way to say I'm definitely definitely not part of this community and probably going to hell um <laughs> and so like basically now I'm 37 um I'm still in recovery from that. And my recovery is basically like, can I please have the same depth of belonging mm. without the conformity? That's just, that's just like my project now. Yeah. Um, and, and I didn't know that's what I was doing most of that time, but I've gotten closer and closer to, to clarifying, like, that's the question. Um, or and, whether, or whether or not it's possible is part of the exploration you're doing. I'm yeah. assuming. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, th- I feel confident enough that it is possible or that like there are, there are many different modes of belonging and some of them are much more oriented towards freedom and pluralism and autonomy than what I was raised inside of. Cause I've had, I've had taste of these, you know um, I think that's what people go to Burning Man for. Yeah. Least, I've never been to Burning Man, but from what I get from the outside, it seems like there's this thing of like, there's this minimum consensus uh, to enable the maximum diversity of expression and people can do what they want and be what they want and try different stuff. You know, that, that people have these little tastes of it. And Burning Man is kind of like mostly, from what I can tell, it seems like mostly a party that happens now and then. Um, but I think that is a, it is a model of how community can be in general, that we have this minimum set of structures that holds us together that enables the maximum freedom. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, um, I'm always going to take a skeptical lens and it's not because I'm mean, but I really like want these things to succeed and not to like, just 
get into this <clears throat> like uh you know like mutually ramping up utopia conversations you know what i mean <laughs> where we're like both we're, we're both just like yeah what if it were like this and that's like your that, that's the whole conversation as opposed to like being more realistic so like burning man for example i think there's a ton of um lessons to be taken from that set of i don't know explorations that have been there they, it is a proven model um but it is um you know it, it has a time uh limit on it it's just a party <laughs> um and what happens in like longer like long community and for me i think a lot of my skepticism comes from the fact that like a lot of people are um like talk in utopian terms and point to models that aren't proven over time they're proven yeah. like the shortest amount of time and then a lot of these places even like back in the 1800s in the u.s there were lots of communes that like came and went in like a couple of years um that doesn't mean i don't think it's possible i don't i think it's something to be striving for but anyways that's just one thing so i don't know if you have more to riff on that or you want to tell yeah. us a little bit about the event you just had i am um, i always have more to riff on i think everything's connected to everything else um so one of the things about growing up christian like explicitly christian instead of just like culturally christian like most of the people i interact with um is that I really had the heaven and hell story baked into me. And it's and the apocalypse and utopia thing, you know, the, the doom optimism thing. That's like really... It is Christian. That's like so deeply impressed into my grammar and my way of making stories. And um, and and I'm, I feel like I'm in the process of recovery from that, you know, like to let go of this, uh, this way of seeing the world where it's like, oh, there are two choices and one is infinitely good and the other is infinitely bad, yeah. and, you know. Um, and so much of the kind of podcast ecosystem that I'm paying attention to is caught up in that same dynamic. Totally. Um, and I, and I think it's, I think it lacks a kind of maturity that like the more mature people I know have just a much more humble, much more kind of middling <laughs> kind of it's view nuanced, reality. But it's not like, it's not sexy though to sell, yeah. you know, it's yeah. just like, well, in some cases is like the response, <laughs> like, oh, wow, what a great message. <laughs> yeah. So I'm saying that because. I, I don't I don't point to Burning Man to say, oh, it's perfect, or like, oh, my experiences are perfect, or I've got this utopian thing. It's more like I basically have a mental model now that's like at any moment you're either spiraling up or spiraling down. And that's like your relationships, your family life, the world, whatever, whatever scale you want to look at. Um and I'm not taking responsibility for creating utopian reality. I'm just taking responsibility for like trying to push the spiral up, you know, like just trying to you never know, saw it with uh, everyone getting introduced to how exponential functions work with COVID. It's like, if you're in an exponential function and your reproductive factor is above one, eventually it's going to reach the whole planet, you know, imperceptibly <laughs> gradual and then overwhelmingly sudden. I'm, I'm only interested in just whatever, whatever the good vibes that we're trying to create, <laughs> that we keep the reproductive factor above one. And I'm not responsible for like, this like, global domination thing. That's not really the game. Yeah. So, I, so, so with Burning Man, I don't point to it to say like, well, here's the template, the copy. But I think at Burning Man, you have a different set of norms. You temporarily inhabit this like different sociological context and you become different in the process. And you, you, you can have different thoughts there mm -hmm. than you could have if you've never experienced something like that. And so you come up with like different kinds of dumb ideas and different kinds of problems happen. And, you know, there's a kind of, there's a kind of, um, 
you've just got new opportunities to learn stuff than than before you participate in that sort of thing. So like Burning Man's famous for its uh, like gift economy, gift culture. And if you spend any time in these kind of somewhat naive Western interpretations of what gift economies are like, you soon find the shortcomings. Like my experience of burning related events, I haven't been to Burning Man, but I've been to some of the regional events, is that the gift economy is a social capital economy. It's like, if you're popular, you get your drugs for free. <laughs> and, and if you're not, you pay with cash. Like, <laughs> that's how it works. Isn't, which that, is, that, isn't that how it works in the real world too, though? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and that's like such a critical lens. And I mean, no disrespect to this like extended network of communities because I think they do awesome stuff as well. But like, it's not perfect. It's, there's got shortcomings, but also it enables these new dynamics, which you can't observe if you're like, if you're trapped in box life, you're, if you're just like completely in normie life where you haven't even got some sense that we could play with social norms and try a different way of being. So I think of them as like interesting experiments that are kind of fumbling along in an interesting direction rather than just like reproducing the same old mistakes over and over. Yeah, yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. I, and I think the experimentation is essential. So like I both want to be skeptical of it, but I also think like we've got to just go out and try stuff and see what works and then learn from it. But I think I also think a lot of people who go out and try stuff do it without the without a critical enough lens. You know, a lot of people start this kind of thing with just like, wouldn't it be so great if and, um, you know, there are lessons out there already from failed experiments. So, like, let's just take those things seriously if we want our project or whatever to, to be the best it can be. I also think it's crazy. You just said the um, spiraling up or spiraling down thing. I thought this for a long while and and I've never articulated it anywhere and I don't even know how to explain it. And that's probably why I haven't. But um, like, I do feel like you're either in a virtuous cycle or a vicious cycle in life and everything. Like either you're tilted toward improving and working like in a positive way or you're stuck and it's like, that there is a self-reinforcing process where like if you're depressed or something like that it's really hard to get going and then you get deeper into the depression if you can't like flip the switch I don't know do you have any explanation for that because <laughs> I like it's so hard to like talk about but I do yeah. feel that sense yeah yeah I mean it's kind of like <laughs> yeah why is the universe the way it is? Well, <laughs> I, I, honestly, the frame that I have for that is like there are basically two forces in the universe. And in the olden days, people called them good and evil. Mm. And that's not very fashionable. So now I call them like life and entropy, mm. you know? And they're just like, they just seem to be pulling in opposite directions. And life is all about this like efflorescence and order and, and like a very joyful kind of chaos. But then the entropy is just like pulling everything back to pieces and like destroying it. And everything's like going for the heat death of the universe. That just yeah. seems to be, that just seems to be my experience. And maybe this is, you know, my dualism coming in again, but that just seems to be how the world works. Yeah. And I'm like, can we orient ourselves? And I think this is what I've heard on the Doomer Optimism conversations. It's like, just how do we orient ourselves so we're in service of life and we're enjoying liveliness, you know, like this idea of conviviality, this like yeah. this sense of being alive. Like, when do I come alive? And can I do more of that, please? Yeah. What, what, what is making us dead? Like, where is all the deadness coming from? Why does it feel like the deadness is accelerating? Yeah, yeah, totally. Or like, yeah, if you're feeling like you're caught in like the great heat death of the universe, you're not alone because a lot of people are experiencing this. And like, 
you know, that it's, that's okay. And here are some options to like break out of that. I think it is a spiraling down cycle too. Like, cause it, there is a situation where you get in and you're like, you know, I don't even know, I don't even have the words to describe what I'm feeling or what is causing it. And I'm just like stuck in this treadmill and like nothing seems to be working out, even though everyone's saying like, this is, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing kind of thing. It's also crazy. You said that entropy comment, because I had this, um, moment that was like totally um, life-changing at my college graduation, the student speaker um, basically spoke about this exact topic. He was like, um, you know, talking about the second law of thermodynamics and how like all we should be doing in life is to um, fight the great heat death of the universe. And he was like, but we did it in college. We did it 10 weeks at a time. Like, you know, studying these things and uh, and fighting against like the desire to sit in front of the TV, like we need to crawl out of the cave. And it was like, you know, chills, like the best thing to hear when you're like 21 and like about to go into life. Like you could just choose entropy. You could just choose like, you know, staying in, in um, you know, air career, commute, consume, watch TV, you know, this kind of thing. Um, Okay, so like on this topic, I want to hear about this event you had, which I think was like yeah. really generative for you. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I love these can... events and I want to hear about your experience with it. Yeah, sure. So let me make the bridge on, from life. So um, if, if, if we're life maxing, you know, if we're in service of life, then life can be a great in- instructor. And, it, and something that really strikes me about living things is that living things like all of the living things, every single, ever, ever in all of history and probably in all of the future, every living thing grows inside of something else. Like that's where life happens inside of something. And there's like oh, this infinitely long nested, you know, loops and loops and loops of uh, containers. And so I'm in the business of like designing these containers that support life. And, and um, you know, my permaculture friends, they're doing that by like, digging the soil in a certain way and arranging different kinds of combinations of plants in a certain way. I'm in the business of like creating containers for belonging. Like I'm really interested in the, what we call like the social physics of belonging. Like what, are, what are the, what are the boundaries? What are the, how do you contain, how do you create enough, um, you know, like a container, a vessel, it has, it has some um, impermeability about it. It shouldn't leak. Like it should be, it should be like kind of solid in a way, but it also has, be open like stuff has to come in and go out of it something you know like there's this paradox of like how do you make a great container so the micro solidarity project is trying to articulate what what sort of like a minimum set of containers that enables this sense of belonging and purpose and like meaningful work and like activated people what do they need to be inside of and and i guess my hypothesis is there's something happening in society over the last few decades where these social containers have been disintegrating so that we used to have all of these like traditional structures. I live in Italy now, which is like such a, such a snapshot of the past, you know, where um, everyone does the same thing on the same day here. Like there's the day that you go and you collect the wild chestnuts up in the hills. And everyone just, it's, it's not like an official day. It's just like a cultural norm that people know that that's the best day to go get the, the chestnuts. Um, 
there's like a, yeah like an annual calendar which are, which is a container which orients people mm. and there's the yeah your your family and then your extended family and I'll often live you know like in in apartments that are all part of the same building and the like your place in the church like I had like I described my own thing like there's all of these containers which are putting someone on a kind of a map that, that you have your identity as an address that locates you in time and space and in, in, in most of the West, it seems like over the last few decades, we've just been like kind of disintegrating all these containers, all these traditional structures. We're like, yeah, they're too confining. They don't suit us. Like who wants to go to church? Like who wants to have um, some normal square marriage or something? You know, like this, there's this kind of like um, postmodern wave, I think, which is just like disintegrating all of the old structures. And we haven't really come up with great alternatives yet. And so, um, yeah, what I'm trying to do with, with micro solidarity is articulate What's something that's a bit like a family, that's a bit like a church, um, that's a bit like an annual calendar, you know, um, but more suited to where we are in the present moment and the future that we're heading towards. And so it's um, a framework for building community, I guess. It's a, it's a practice. It's a set of uh, ways of thinking about community building. And so like, I wrote a blog post at the end of 2018 describing uh, me and my partner, Nati, are starting a new community, this is how we're thinking about that. This is what we think is really important. Mm, these are the pieces that we're designing in. And these are the things that we're leaving up for like all kinds of chaos and emergence that we don't know. Mm. Um, and as I described that plan uh, and put it on the internet, it just like suddenly got this very warm reception of all these people around the world saying, hey, we're doing that. And um, it's cool that you've given it a name. You know, it's like, it's so, so, so my sense of my job was like my role shifted from I'm a community builder to, oh, I help give the name to the types of community building, which are really needed right now. So I kind of did that meta move, I guess. Mm. Um, and over the course of the last three and a half years, since, since that first blog, it's like we've been developing community, but I've also been connecting with the other community builders and, and developing some peer relationships and some mentor relationships. So like I'm sort of like coaching people along the journey of like, how do you build community in this particular flavor? And then the week before last, we had the first in-person physical gathering of micro solidarity practitioners. And it was just like, ah, so, so, so exciting. And so that's, that was the momentum. That was the impetus to be like, I'd love to talk. I want someone to interview me so I can describe what happened at that gathering, because there must be some parts that can be reproduced in other other people like yourselves that are like trying to activate a social movement. Yes. Okay. So the first practical question is who are these people? Like what are their projects? You know, there's, there's always this, like, there's this like vague sense of like, um, yeah, you know, uh, like to, not to pick on Gregory Landua, but like, yeah, we should just all um, build out uh, networks of ways of, of managing or measuring ecosystems. It's like, yeah, who are the people who are going to do that? <laughs> who are these people building community? Are like, give me a profile, give me a sense yeah. of like, who are, what, yeah. Yeah, what is the social landscape here? Yeah. Um, just to say, I'm a huge Gregory Landuist. I, lo- so. I mean, I love him. I just, I'm the sociologist. I need to know the pe- I need to know like, what, who are we talking about here? You know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking here at the list of, of participants and um, to me, it's obvious they're community builders, but maybe that's a kind of abstract and vague term. So like um, there's one person here who has started a annual festival 
and they bring together people to like I don't mean I don't know much about it I think they're the kind of people that are like into yoga and good food and taking care of your body and being spiritual and that kind of stuff I don't know <laughs> um, but they're really playing an important community building role for that network of people um, there's someone else here who is in more of a you know the social enterprise kind of NGO corporate landscape where they they um, yeah, I'm trying to preserve the anonymity. They started a, an organization which connects all of these social enterprises, all these like, you know, businesses that are trying to make positive social impact. Um, and they, they pull together all the founders from those kind of organizations and give them the kind of support that they need to be more resilient and smart about how they work and get them funding and that sort of thing. Okay. Um, there's, who else am I looking at? Okay, there's a, there was a couple of people actually from the Effective Altruists so, you know, these like super rational spreadsheet driven people who are trying to maximize like what's the most positive impact we can have with philanthropy. And they're, at least in my part of the world, they're kind of known for having really smart ideas, but kind of uh, not great vibes. <laughs> so, so I think they were coming to like, go like, how do we make a good vibe while we're also doing this like very intellectual Important That's work. funny because I bet there, I, I bet there is in your world, like people who are great at vibes and horrible on practicalities, yeah. and then vice versa. Yeah, um, and then there's a couple of people. There's a couple of people on this list who, um, that have local creative spaces, like creative community spaces of different flavors. So like that, they all have a slightly different emphasis, but they're usually like quite into various kinds of art. And there's usually like um, maybe like a social justice mission or like a feminist mission or some kind of like make the world better kind of politics involved in there. Yeah. Um, and and they've got these physical spaces in urban locations where people are coming together to like, again, find a sense of belonging, find a sense of purpose. Like what's my contribution here and, and what's my place? You know, like where where do I fit in? Yeah. And then you have a bunch of people on the list as well who are like more the business people that are, um, you know, like working in DAOs, for example, in the crypto space, they're trying to do something in a new way. And they know that having relational skills, community building skills are like an essential component to doing that. Mm, okay. Yeah. And this, this kind of cool, the landscape is like, it's really varied, the social landscape, lots of different experiments on lots of different scales. Um, so it's good. I mean, that's all that I'm, I approve. It's fine. <laughs> I approve of your list. <laughs> Um, and it's, yeah, it's good. It's good to hear that, that, um, and there's probably, it would be, it's interesting too, that there's some diversity because then you can kind of maybe, um, think of insights across, but then ones that are specific to each context or whatever. So yeah, let's just start wherever, what, what, um, yeah, download your, your excitement. (laughs) Upload. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, so I haven't, I've intentionally kind of like not processed this because I wanted to figure it out live. Um, like what is useful to share? Um, I mean, I guess it's probably useful to just give some more of like the concrete logistics to, to okay. like put some, put some blocks in there. And then, and then it's more about like how, what are we doing as organizers to make this a really powerful experience for people? I guess is the second question. So like the practical stuff was, um, we rented an abbey in Belgium and it's, it's an amazing place in a town called Drongen. Uh, really recommend that venue. It's, uh, you know, like 14 centuries old. 
that there's been these contemplative Christians going there trying to like do some peace or whatever they're into. Um, and so like those, those vibes are in the space and, and that's like an important piece of the puzzle, right? Like that there's physical architecture, there's an amazing garden, there's like a relationship to the rest of the town that has accumulated over a long time. And so like the moment people arrive or even before when they're just anticipating arriving, there's already some work is being done, you know, like just the, the massive trees on site, you know, where it's like the main meeting room that we were in, um, it was constructed 400 years ago and all of the beams across the ceiling, which are all exposed timber, like each one of those beams is like a 250 year old tree. And it's one of these places where the replacement trees are just outside waiting for their turn, you know, like they're, 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 they're cultivating something on a long time scale. Yeah. Okay. This is actually really important. And I want to talk about this a little bit. Um, but the, the, the one practical question, where did people sleep? Did they sleep there? Yeah. So it's, um, that is really important to me as well. Like when you have an event where people sleep to sleep in the, you know, they stay in the same space to sleep. <laughs> Some of them may be sleeping together. It's a completely <laughs> different conversation, which we can, we can earmark for later. Um, but what I mean is when people don't leave, if you wanted to use like a magical metaphor, it's like the spell is getting cooked overnight. There's something happening. Whereas if you leave, if people are leaving every day, it's like the, the, the energy is like leaking out somehow. The magicness is leaking out. So for me, it's really important that we have a residential gathering that people are eating and sleeping and staying. And, that, and, and after a, a few days, there is this sense of like, you've entered a parallel reality and even remembering that there's another reality is kind of confronting. It's a bit like, Oh God, right. Yeah. There's people out there. Yes. Yes. Okay. That's, that's like, okay. There's a couple of things. One, I really love the idea of sleeping in a venue because um, like you said, uh, all the things you said, but also there's a lot of um, informal overlap, like when you're just in common spaces and moving around. um, Whereas like, if you go off site and you're, you're kind of have your separate experience where you don't have like those informal interactions, which I think are really important. The Abbey though, this is a metaphor to me. Um, Mm. and I wonder if this tension, if, if it exists in your head as a tension or not, but the, the reason this Abbey is impactful is because of traditional (laughs) structures. I mean, it's because of how it evolved over time. It's Mm. because it's a model that had been proven to work where it's like of a place, but separate from it. Um, you know, I think maybe you can riff on this a little bit, but I Mm. feel like it's almost like an acknowledgement that there's something really timeless and important about the traditional that, and I don't know the extent to which that plays into how you design things or what, how you think about these things. But I feel like I, I, but again, I'm not like for just re totally re-embracing the traditional, but like there is just so much to learn from it that's I mean it's like maybe 80 90 percent of the way there and then that last little bit we can play with as moderns I feel like um I don't know what your thoughts are on that yeah I'm I'm with you I mean uh, I just said it's 14 centuries of contemplative Christianity and they've been building peace there and something something like that's a very subjective and limited retelling of what's been happening in that space yeah. and you could easily come in with a different subjectivity and say like this is the headquarters of patriarchy and colonization and it's, it's you know like that and that's yeah. also true yeah that is also yeah. true 
And, and so for me, the job is like to, like, like with my own personal story, I'm, I feel like only just now, 17 years later, getting over my rebellion against the church and finally ready to acknowledge that they knew something about community. They knew something about life, you know, they knew something about going the distance because there's like a very direct lineage that goes back more than 2000 years. Like there's something to respect there. Yeah. Um, so I think the job is like to find, find a generous interpretation of the traditions, you know, like to find a way to, to connect and say like, I celebrate and acknowledge and respect the things that you've done in the past. I can also see the shortcomings and it seems like the future is um, unprecedentedly unprecedented, you know? <laughs> yeah. But also to and, not be naive about tradition in the same way that other people are naive about utopia. Like, I yeah. mean, I think it's really important to not go in either direction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's like, for me, it's basically comes down to respecting my grandparents, you know? And um, one of my like hobby horses at the moment <laughs> is how many people I know, how many like, you know, youngish, um, reasonably well-off Western kind of jet set hipsters like me who are discovering a kind of Christianity. No, sorry, not a Christianity. They're discovering a kind of spirituality by doing this patchwork selection from all these other cultures. Um, they're at these kind of festivals, like I've mentioned. And the big taboo is Christianity. It's like all the other cultures are these like beautiful traditions and like, wow, we've got so much to learn. But Christianity is this big embarrassment. Oh my like, God, this is such a great insight. <laughs> it's so, it is funny. Like why, why? I mean, why, why can't we pull from our own heritage too? I mean, are, we are Christian, you know, in the, in the West, we're like, you know, Judeo-Christian. Um, why like pretend? I don't know. I almost feel like it's, it's LARPy too, to, um, in some ways, just like, I don't know, try to like hang on other whole spiritual um, perspectives. Uh, I don't know. There, I don't know. There's, there's a lot to play with there, but there's like, yeah. there is something where if you're not fully of it, um, in some ways, your interpretation of it is just going to be lacking, like, you know, and maybe a little bit role playing and a little bit um, I, I feel like I, I've often had this skepticism and kept my distance from like yoga type festivals. It's like yoga is going to change your life. It's like what? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, I get maybe, it. Maybe the useful thing to say is that I don't believe that um, the kind of the kind of social norms that we need, you know, like the community structuring things that we need. I don't think we're going to find them by selecting the tastiest muscles. You know, like some of the stuff we need is jarring and unpleasant, you know, like we need accountability. And if I'm just looking for the things that give me the, the best kind of sense of spirituality or the best hit or the best sense of like, I'm so connected and purposeful and alive and in my body. Well, and it's hedonistic. <laughs> it can be very hedonistic, like a, like a, like a spirituality as consumption, um, as opposed to. I think like a full spiritual practice has something to do with um, an act of production. Like you are co-producing in yourself um, some, you know, some way of being in the world that, ha that has like limitations and consequences, but also with, with that comes the, the beautiful um, insights. Okay. So anyways, let's go back to um, the event. Um, yeah. 
uh, I'm enjoying this game where I'll try and explain the practicals and we'll just go off on the yeah, yeah. So <laughs> Brennan Abbey, um, there's a hosting team of five, five people and 30 guests. So already that is weird. You know, that's like a really skewed ratio compared to most events where you might have two people organizing a conference of like 10,000 or whatever. Like we're really, um, it's kind of like a small, small classroom idea, you know, like really small groups of people with a huge amount of attention from um, a tight group of, of hosts. And so like the five of us, when, like I said, everything grows inside something else. And there's these nested circles, that idea of like nested circles of like um, the fractal structures of belonging. That's kind of like the main theoretical insight of microsolidarity is that if you want to change a large group, you have to do it by changing a small group and then convincing a few more small groups and then getting those small groups into a slightly larger group and, and on and on and on and on. And on. Um, again, I think it's what Dimmer Optimism is doing. It's like yeah. connecting or, Hey, you see all these different little communities and like interesting enterprises and adventures. Can we, can, can we throw out a narrative that's big enough for them to come into a sense of shared identity and that, that larger identity with its larger narrative, its larger sense of us might be able to have more influence. You know, it might be able to um, come up against like some of the corporations that are operating at, at that scale, for example. So <laughs> again, tiny practical detail, five people. And we cultivate a particular vibe, you know, a, a, a way of relating to each other in that group of five. And the, the quality of the relationships between the five of us are the main constraint on what's going to happen in the group. So we're getting to know each other, building trust in preceding meetings. And, you know, it's like stuff like, oh, I just realized, colleague, I don't trust you on this thing. There was this thing that, that went down. This, we bumped into each other and I just kind of ignored it and, and looked, looked away to one side. And now I'm kind of like withholding. Um, we need to clear that up before everyone gets here because we need to be in a space of like, modeling to the group what kind of relationships we want which is like adult to adult relationships of trust and clarity and like open communication and all that sort of stuff so we're like cultivating the good vibe with the five of us <laughs> so we got to the abbey on the sunday night and had a chance just to land in the space kind of get oriented get our bearings tune in with each other after having already had a bunch of meetings online before that and, and do the kind of thing where we like set our intentions and, and say like, hey, look, this is what I'm, what we call my learning edge. You know, like, this is where I'm a bit wobbly. This is where I'm like, Ooh, not in my stretch. You know, I'm in my stretch zone, not in my comfort zone. This is the kind of support that I need. Like when you see me getting really uptight about the timekeeping, can you just like give me a little tap on the shoulder and, you know, take the, wheel, take the wheels for a second because I know my anxiety is like spoiling the vibe. <laughs> so we're doing that. We're like cultivating those relationships. And then all the guests arrived on kind of late Monday afternoon and towards the evening. And even that, like the way that the guests first encounter the event when they first arrive, like it just has such an influence on their experience for the rest of the time. Because you know what it's like when you go to a new place with a new group, like there's all these anxieties that are up, all your like vigilance is online and you're uptight and it's like, oh, it's so awkward. Uh, I hope people like me. Uh, da, 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 da. And so like the process of, meeting people where they are greeting them in a way where they actually feel like they've been seen and acknowledged and like that their anxieties and their needs are going to get tended to that they know like where the food is and where the bedroom is and you know that kind of orientation i think it's like so important to get that help people through that transition phase as smoothly as possible 
so we're basically just like with the five of us uh, at, <laughs> taking turns at the front door, kind of like running relays <laughs> as people come down the driveway. It's like, oh, one of us will go meet them and find them to their place and the next person and the next person. So this is like actually giving people a genuine sense of welcome as you would to your home, you know, like this, this is a, a principle of how we do leadership in micro solidarity. It's hospitality. That's all it is. It's just like hosting people with that spirit that you would do when you host someone at your home. So then that's Monday and, night. And did that go yeah. well? Did that go well? Any like insights from that? Do you feel like that hope that hospitality um, orientation worked for what you wanted it, it to do? Yeah. So I guess then the question is, what did we want to do with it? <laughs> like, um, yes, it was successful at doing what? Um, I think in retrospect, I think what we're doing is reminding people what it feels like to be at peace what it feels like to be socially engaged, relaxed, excited, like welcome, active, welcome, yeah, like just um, where they can drop their mask and be themselves and be curious about others and find others being curious about them. Like that, all all of those things I'm describing to me, it's like a, a feeling in your body. That's why we say vibes. You know, it's like your body feels a certain way. Yeah, when the conditions are right. And all kinds of different factors can interrupt that. Like if you're too hungry or if you arrive into a space and it's like just way too big and empty and there's like big signs, but like, where are the people? And you know, like there's so many different things. Yeah, or can... a conference, checking in at a conference, like Oof. here's your badge. Goodbye. <laughs> and, 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 the, and the hosting team at a conference, like on day one is their most stressful moment. It's like when they've got the most like logistical, logistical requirements. And if you're not careful, all of that anxiety gets like projected into every single person you encounter. You're like flustered and in a hurry yeah. and, and people arrive and you're like signaling. So we're, we're mammals, right? And the way that mammals work is in my understanding, there's always at least some degree of, of, of like hierarchy or, or rank or status that we are attuned to in our bodies. Even in the most collaborative non-hierarchical groups, there's still some sense of status and influence, you know, you call it eldership maybe if, if 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 the idea of hierarchy is like too uncomfortable but people kind of know instantaneously almost they know who they're supposed to look to for like what's normal around here mm. so if the guests show up and the hosts are in a state of anxiety and they're projecting that into the room of like we're really busy there's no time we're gonna... it's like <laughs> they're hearing the message like oh i should keep my needs to myself uh, apparently we need to hurry up uh there's this yeah. like whole scarcity of time and yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's bad vibes <laughs> no yeah and that's really i don't know there is something really beautiful in my opinion about um the hosting mentality because it's not just about good vibes it's taking care of people's real needs like yeah. if you're um if you're at, at a uh like a festival <laughs> that has like camping and you're just like uh somebody shows up and you're just and you don't care like here's your spot of grass goodbye and you don't think about like where's the bathroom how would you get food like what you know where is access to water with all of this stuff um that's terrible vibes and so i think there is like there's totally something in this that is uh it's absolutely essential to care about actual material needs and this is one thing that i'm very skeptical about like we said before <laughs> there's a lot of people who are like super great at vibes and not so great at like you know, being the mom to take care of people and give them a cup of tea and show them where the bathroom is and, you know, whatever, that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Okay. So, so 
material needs are essential and it's really like i think we're mostly working at the material layer at the at the fleshy layer that's basically what's happening it's like i said there's an embodied feeling of peace and safety yeah and when enough people have it then they're ready to do new stuff and they're ready to change and they're ready to grow so that's the container for growth is like that feeling of peace and safety and like curiosity and so on and 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 what we do with that is hopefully stitch together some new social fabric and give people opportunities to learn about the thing that they need to learn about right now. We don't know what that is, but they do. <laughs> well, they'll discover it through the process. Okay. So what did you do? What, are, what, what did you actually do to get that? Well, you know how at a conference, everyone knows that the most interesting stuff happens in the hallways and around the coffee breaks. Yeah. We just kind of optimize for coffee breaks. <laughs> As in not let's just do nothing or let's have nothing on the agenda. But what's interesting usually is like a very small group where you encounter someone with shared interest and you have enough time to like have a good conversation with them. And then, yeah, when you're thirsty, there's a drink nearby. <laughs> like, that's what makes a satisfying gathering is like the small group encounter. And there's some big group stuff happening, some sense of like we're a movement or like we all agree with this thing or like we support this project or we've got shared values. Like that's nice. But the satisfying stuff, the stuff that leaves an impression, the thing that builds memories, the thing that like shifts your sense of who you are, it's always conversations in like little corners with two or three people. So the agenda that we went through was like a little bit of whole group time, but almost entirely just giving people lots of opportunities to meet in different configurations of small groups. And we kind of like fertilize those small groups with interesting conversation starters and they have the time that they're having. So that's an, that's an attitude towards hosting again, which is like, as a host, my job is to give you a coffee table and a couple of nice sofas and, and a, a, a bottomless coffee. It's not to tell you what the agenda of your, you know, like to structure the topic of conversation so much. So the, the, the first thing we do after everyone's had dinner on the first night is just a bunch of orientation information. This is what you can expect over the course of this week. This is the like housekeeping logistical notes. Um, by the way, another important thing you said, um, you know, playing the mum who's going to get you a coffee. Um, we, we played with that concept. So instead of having a mum, because, you know, um, I am deeply informed by feminists there as well. So I'd be troubled if all of that, all of that care labor was being done by someone who was referred to as the mum. What we had instead was Captain Logistics. And throughout the event, there's this like very, very light touch, but there's this kind of like um, aesthetic metaphor through the whole thing that we keep referring to which is about we're we're on a boat or we're a collection of boats and we're like going on a journey we're sailing together and like any event i think it helps to have some little theatrical metaphor like that and so captain logistics has a captain's hat like a sailor's captain's hat and on day one i was captain logistics because i'd been doing all the organizing and i knew that this person had this particular need and that person needs to have this kind of duvet and da 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 and then on day two, some, someone else wait, on the team. Oh, wait, took... I, I just want to clarify: you are actually you're actually wearing this hat. I'm actually wearing this hat. Okay. <laughs> and then on day two, at the start, I literally take the hat off my head and pass it to one of my colleagues and say, "Now, Nati is captain logistics. So if you've got logistical questions and needs, like she's the first person to talk to." That's cute. That's so, fun. <laughs> this is a really practical way to actually make sure that the logistics and the care needs and those kind of like all of those little micro details of being a host. They get distributed around the team because if you don't do that, there'll be an informal system of distributing it. And guess what? Mostly it'd be one or two women doing all of the work. Yeah. And guess what? They'll get really frustrated 
and probably burn out. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then you lost, then you just lost your like most effective people on the team because they're like, fuck those guys. They never carry their weight. They never clean the dishes. They always just want to have these annoying conversations. Okay. Okay. So this is, there's something coming up for me, which is, um, there are these traditional, uh, let's just say caretaking roles that maybe fall to women in some ways, although men can be caretake caretakers and there's just like a different, more masculine energy to it. And it's just different. Um, but the, the actual tasks can be taken, you know, t- um, can be taken care of by either, unless, for example, it's like breastfeeding <laughs> um, or pregnancy or something like that. But um, anyways, that I don't want to get political with those, uh, any comments like that. But anyways, uh, but okay, so it is oppressive, though, how people will go to women first for a role like that when a man could do it in this particular event and there's something really profound about just um just explicitly stating this is what we're gonna do here um and then doing it and then everybody's like oh that's fine but as long as you're intentional about it like i don't like that this happens we're just and and without even being super like negative about it just this is how we're gonna do things here um is like a really cool way to, I don't know, it's just really simple, but also very profound to just be like super explicit, intentional, um, but in like a, these are just the rules way, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it does exemplify our general approach, I think, which is like, we could, we could start the gathering with like kind of a lecture about sexism and patriarchy right. and, and kind of like scold people and say, you really make sure that you don't overload the women with the care labor and that, that, that we could do that, but yeah. that's a bad vibe, you know, like it's an important point that you're making, but it's a bad vibe. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, so but instead I, it's I, the, the invitation, like just from a, this is, this is how we do things is so critical. And I think, what's lacking i think both the positive invitation is really great um as opposed to the negative like which i think exists in a lot of like woke politics it's just directed around the negative there's not a great positive example to follow or not a robust one and then also um just being intentional about it i think a lot of these communities think it's less oppressive to have no rules at all and then it actually ends up being oppressive in these ways where like people just sort of fall into their regular habits if they're not given some explicit direction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Joe Freeman wrote the tyranny of structurelessness like 60 yeah. years ago. Yeah. And it's still like, everyone seems to have to learn that lesson the hard way, but it's like, please people just read that, <laughs> just read that essay and you understand that removing an explicit hierarchical structure does not produce freedom. You know, like yeah. that's not the end of the game. Yeah. <laughs> so um i guess yeah there's so it's like i'm i'm just thinking about every little detail has got so so much thought behind it and we can go infinitely (laughs) into the into the into the weeds of each thing but i i feel like i want to like get through a little bit more of the shape of the event yeah and Uh, (laughs) and yeah and also feel like zoom out um too like it's such a meta event it's like it's Mm. an event for community building where you are yourself playing with what you're telling other people to do in terms of community building. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe the next interesting thing to talk about is what we call the crew. And so the crew is, is like core Lego building block of micro solidarity. And it's a small group 
Um, the exact size, you know, it's kind of up for debate. The exact numbers are not that important, but I always say it's like the size of a dinner table conversation before the conversation splits in two. So it's usually like three, four, five people can hold one conversation. Sixth person shows up and suddenly you have two conversations or you have one conversation, but one or two people are completely disengaged. Um, and that's important. That's like, that's a cognitive limit that's kicking in there. That's like just about being a mammal. Like we can have a conversation with five people and it's really hard to have a conversation with six. And if you've got 10, you're going to need all kinds of like infrastructure and prosthetics and technology to make that a productive conversation. Like you're going to need a formal agenda and a facilitator and a whiteboard and post-it notes and systems and, you know, so the crew is like the group that's small enough that you don't need any of that stuff, that you can just be completely organic about how you relate to each other. And it's also a little nod to the boat thing because, you know, like crew of a sailing ship, it's this idea of like, you know, I think that civilization is in an all hands on deck moment. Like we all need to be getting up there and doing the thing and we need to be part of the great crew of sailing ship of the planet. So um, on the first night after the sort of like orientation and giving people, you know, some like icebreaker, warm up, get to know each other kind of things, we assign everyone into a crew and the crew is your group that you're going to just keep meeting with every day. And towards the end of the day, every day, there's going to be this moment where you get together with the same people and we'll give you a light kind of prompt about what you might talk about. Um, but the rest of the event is going to be quite divergent and lots of different stuff happens. Um, but the crew is like your point of stability that you keep returning to. Mm. And I'm like, every, every gathering needs this concept, in my opinion, um, because it gives you a space to keep returning and developing more sense of trust and more sense of like relaxation. Like you might not feel relaxed in the big group, but you'll probably feel relaxed in the small group after a couple of days. Um, it's an opportunity to just like digest all of this, like, whoa, it's super stimulating. Whoa, what's happened? You know, there's all this different activity happening in the room. And this is like, whew, a bit more sane, <laughs> you know, it's a space to return to. And again, from the hosting perspective, if I was running a festival, for example, uh, or this kind of gathering at a smaller scale, one of my top concerns is like, who is being left behind? Like who's falling through the cracks? Who's disaffected? Who's pissed off? Mm. Who feels like this is a waste of time? Or like who feels like they've seen some really dangerous behavior, but they're alienated. They don't know what to do about it. Like if I know that everyone is in a crew, then I know that there's going to be eyes on them. So anyone that's lonely or disaffected, someone's going to notice and they might just need, you know, someone to talk to, or they might actually have a real serious concern that needs to escalate to the, to the hosting team. But it means that I know that there's not someone quietly off in their room and nobody's noticed that they've actually haven't seen them for two days and they're just like having the worst day of their life or something. <laughs> that is such a, um, it's such an enabling structure again. So that's the crew piece and that happens at the end of every day. Um, any, then, any insights about how that worked in practice at this event? Did it, yeah. did it work as you wanted it to? It worked well. I think, I think the shortcoming was we didn't give enough priming about what crews are for. So I think it took people a while to sort of realize that why have I been assigned to this random group and I'm supposed to be there every day? What's this about? Mm. Like we could have done a better job of just telling them what it was for. Um, but but it did the job, which was like creating that context where people feel safer than in the large group and they, and they kept returning. And um, yeah, it's hard for me to see what's happening in all of them, but I know that some of them, there were really awesome um, collaborations and, and lessons and stuff coming out of it. I've actually been at events where the crews 
we've done events where like the crew's uh, given a, an assignment and it's like over the course of the event, you know, you're getting all excited and stuff. And then at the end, you're going to co-produce something. And so like we did one where we had seven crews. And so we did a seven course feast and each crew had to not just produce the food, but also like this like theatrical participatory enactment thing and rolling people into this like insane <laughs> carnival feast thing that it took like eight hours to get through. Did it, it, was did, so it good. did it work? Did, was <laughs> yeah. that fun? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, at the simplest, it's like you can just do cooking crews, right? Like every meal is going to be cooked by a different crew. And that's just having a practical thing to do is like an awesome way for most people to get to know each other, which yeah. is not intellectual, you know? No, I actually um, thought about this in, in depth that I would want. <laughs> I So I had a fantasy about an event at a, at an abbey or a monastery and, um, and like the, the, the main activities were physical, like, like beer, beer making or, cooking or something like that and and like the conversation that just happens adjacent to the physical Mm -hmm. um is in some ways more generative than Mm -hmm. like the pressure you feel in just like a one-on-one or even small group conversation to like be interesting where it's just talking as opposed to like you know riffing that comes when you're in the midst of doing something physical um i'm really big on that but anyways um well most most of these like kind of related events that i go to that are less about community building but that are like sense making or like you know these like all these people i love and like the emerge network and that sort of thing usually those events are centered around they elevate the people who are the most impressive talkers and it's like great i love to get inspired by an impressive talker and be like wow that was so smart and i got some ideas i think i don't know if i really internalized them but it felt really cool to listen to you but it's signaling to the whole group, like the way to belong here, the way to be celebrated here is to be an impressive talker. Right. Which is just like, you don't need many impressive talkers in the community. That's not like a very important function. <laughs> oh my God. It's so funny because like, the thing that the joke that always comes up is like with these kinds of intentional community utopian ideas, everyone wants to be the mayor and nobody wants to like, um, you know, run the sanitation. <laughs> and I think that is like, it is, there is something in a lot of this, these kinds of community building things that are like, yeah, who is the best, who's the ideas guy? And that's what we yeah. value here. We don't need that many ideas. If we have too many ideas, guys, it'll be a disaster of a community. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So next little piece, um, practical thing. We're all together in this abbey, but it is distributed a bit in space. And so it was really supportive to have a Telegram chat channel. So everyone can chat with each other. So like you're talking and then you're like, you reference some podcast or something. You can just drop the podcast into the Telegram channel and everyone's got it, right? Mm. Or um, uh, lunch has been delayed by 30 minutes. You can just let everyone know. Um, But also I was thinking about it because of the cruise. As a host, like I said, I'll explain this more, but there's like a lot of divergent parallel activity happening. Um, And as a host, I'm kind of like moving through the space, listening into what's going on and trying to find what's the like, what question is most alive today? Like what conversation would be most useful for the crews to have at the end of today? Which is a game I just love. I just, it's, it's so hard to describe. It's such a rare kind of um, competency, I guess, but it's so fun to just like get, take the pulse of the group and figure out what would be a really awesome thing for them to talk about today. So like, for example, a good question is like towards the end, a question like, what am I learning about myself? You know, so it's this like, prompts a bunch of reflection and sharing and vulnerability and connection and like it's just like a simple question that you could run for hours and hours on that um so we use the telegram for that as well so we know we can access everyone when we need to 
So uh, I'm, only, I'm only on Monday night. <laughs> no, these things go through. These things go through. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, so Tuesday. Um, this was a new experiment doing it this way and definitely one I'll repeat. Um, it was a new formula for us, which was basically the start of the event was more like a professional training being run by a bunch of facilitators who've got expertise and they're kind of looked up to as being knowledgeable. That was the first half. And the second half was like much more open, co-created, participatory. So, so the, 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 the first full day, which was the Tuesday, was facilitated by uh, my friend and colleague and like incredible mentor, Carl Stayert, who's been doing this work in like his big specialty is basically like conflict resolution, essentially, um, but in a deeper way. And he's trained in nonviolent communication and in internal family systems, which is this kind of like hip new therapy thing that people are getting into. Yeah, I studied and, in college a little oh, bit. Great, great. So he's got his own kind of like creative remix of those two things. Uh, which he's structured into a training, which can be like half a day or a week or anything like that. But we basically gave him the first full day to take us through this process of like developing curiosity about our interior experience. Like what's going on inside of me? What do I feel? What do I want? What do I need? Like in, in internal family systems, they always talk about parts, you know, like there's, there's, there's a part of me who wants this. There's a part of me that needs that. Um, and so you know, I talked about microsolidarity having this fractal scales of belonging. The first, the first fractal is actually me, and it's my relationship between all the parts of myself. So that's why we had Carl lead that whole first day, was getting people to connect to themselves, getting to them to understand their nervous system. Like, there's, there's, there's a state that I can be in, like I mentioned about peace and connection and social engagement. There's another state where I'm like much more agitated and, and kind of clenched and like anxious and uncomfortable. Like notice that, <laughs> notice when that's happening, what's going on. Like what the, the basic theory I think from NBC is like feelings are needs. Like your emotion is a signal that's telling you you need something. Like it's actually not that complicated, but we're not really socialized to understand it that way. And if you can um, develop your interoception and understand like oh, I'm feeling this, it's probably because I need that, you know, like I'm feeling shy, maybe I need a hug, whatever. Mm. Um, <laughs> I need a sense of connection or I, I need some validation, whatever. Um, when you have that internal self-awareness, you're just so much more competent at relating to other people because you know what's going on for you. And then you can be curious about what's going on for them. Then you negotiate and like, oh, you've got this need. I'm happy to meet that need. Well, no, I'm not, but you can be clear about that. Um, so it's all this stuff about basically self-responsibility, self-awareness. Um, and we're not even really talking about relationships yet. You know, we're not even really talking about community yet. We're just talking about the community of the self and how these parts relate to each other. And that's like a full day that's super intensive. <laughs> it's like really people felt um, like this was probably the, the, the strongest corrective feedback we got was like that day was too much. It was too intense. Like for some people, some people that are not familiar with doing like therapy or a lot of introspection or stuff like that, we like brought up a lot of emotional content. Mm. Um, and it was a very supportive context. Like, like I said, we've got five hosts that so people are being attended to. Um, but still it was like a lot of emotional processing for people. Yeah. Especially but, on the first full day. Yeah. Like maybe, yeah. maybe there's something that needs to happen at first to like, yeah, yeah, just to like get people to open up in a way that's not so explicit, explicitly introspective, but instead like implicit 
open opening up exercise i don't know what that would mean but you know just like shared activity or something anyone who um pays me any attention on twitter knows that my game is to try to trigger people just the right amount (laughs) not so much that they get defensive and angry (laughs) yeah and that can be generative yeah 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 so um yeah you i mean you do want to manage that um you don't want to coddle people so much that it's not they're not like getting pushed at all in any yeah. in any way. Yeah. So my, my mental model is a really common one is this idea you've got the comfort zone and then your stretch zone and then your panic zone or your shutdown or your like freak out zone. Yeah. And people need to keep returning to the comfort zone. So they feel comfortable, but you're not growing when you're in, in your comfort zone, you're, you're resting, you're recovering. Yeah. And so we want people, we will keep inviting people into their stretch zone. It feels uncomfortable, but like, this is where I'm learning something important about myself. And we're taking great care to not push them into their freakout zone. And as, as a host, I don't know where your zone is because it changes from day to day and yeah. depending on your context and all the rest. And so like with with all of this work is like trying to get people to understand that they have comfort stretch and freakout zones. And it's their job to like pendulate and to anticipate like, oh, I'm getting near to my freakout. I need to pull back. Yeah. I need a cup of tea. I need a bail. So uh, part of what we're doing is that encouraging people to take that responsibility to understand like, Hey, you need a break. Yeah. And I guess the other thing to say about Tuesday is, you know, like this, in this example, it's this like kind of weird, intense sort of therapy stuff. Most groups are not going to want to do that. Um, But more importantly, it's like we're priming people. We're saying, this is the topic that's most interesting. This is the way of communicating that we think is most generative. Like it, it sets the ball rolling in a certain direction before on Wednesday, we kind of open it up and all kinds of different shit can happen. It's that we've really primed people with, with some, um, yeah, just some like common language and, and common frameworks. Yeah. The other, well, yeah, I'm like, I keep oscillating between going into detail and, and moving that really. I think maybe the thing I'll say is there was more training components on the other days, but okay. they were decreasing in size every day. Okay. Um, and then basically after lunch on Wednesday is when we really opened the, opened the floodgates. So we use a system called open space technology. It's like kind of well-known if you're a facilitator and other people don't know about it. Um, it's also known as like people, it's very similar to unconferencing. It's like, basically we've got this big wall with the days on it and the time of the day. And these are all of the different spaces where you could have a, a meeting or a workshop or some kind of adventure. Um, and we're going to go through this process where we set up the agenda together. Where basically anyone can propose anything that they think is interesting. And there's no like negotiation about what would be the right thing to do. It's just like, I have enthusiasm for this. Um, if you want, you can do like we did a, a quick, because we had 30 people and like 50 proposed events, we did do a quick like dot voting thing. So everyone like put, the, you, you write your, your name on a post-it note and people like put a little dot on it to be like, I'm interested in this. But that's just advice. You know, that's just information. It's not like a binding thing. And then you basically just like put all those post-it notes onto the agenda. And it's like, this is what we're going to do for the rest of the week. All of the stuff that people are interested in, that's what's happening. And um, yeah, there's some specific, it's worth reading. There's like a one pager. I think it's name's Harry, oh, I forgot his name, Owen, Owen Harrison. Owen Harrison, I think, is the guy who documented this open space technology. And it's just like, here is the recipe. Just do this. Do it exactly the way he said it. And it works. <laughs> Again, it's like an enabling constraint. It's the minimum it's the minimum firm structure that really enables a huge amount of freedom. Yep. Um, and so then, yeah, the rest of the agenda, that's from Wednesday afternoon until Friday night, 
is all just populated by with whatever people have showed up with. And it's so easy as a host at that point because I'm not really responsible anymore. You know, like I didn't have to like schedule the best speakers or like I don't, I don't mind if someone's event is a little bit lame. It doesn't matter. Like yeah. someone was enthusiastic about producing that and some people showed up and they went to it. Like that's fine. That's a good outcome. Yeah. Um, it's definitely better than, than anything you can plan top down in my experience. Yeah. So I, two, two insights. One, um, yeah, I do think it's better when it's, uh, I, it can be better uh, when um, everybody's working together. Like there's just so much more possibility and also like maybe the type of person who would, self-select to be in this at this conference um would be the type of person that would create something that another person who would self-select to be at this conference would be interested in kind of thing um and then i really like this idea because this is very like dual process uh something i talk about decent amount um that you have the first part of it be um normy like within the realms of more uh, normal experiences at a conference and slowly make this transition to this other thing um like it's what a lot of people talk about with like alternative currencies and uh, stuff like that where you like have to get people onboarded in a way that makes sense with their normal set of heuristics and then you can open up the possibility once they've played with it and like have built some trust and, and that kind of thing. So that's cool. That was, that's very smart. And so this, I hope kind of illustrates again, like why we have the cruise at the end of every day is like, what did you get up to today? <laughs> you, you can compare notes and be like, well, yeah. I had this really important conversation about power dynamics and teams. And I went to this thing about psychological safety and I went to a workshop about how to like, how to have a playful relationship with the camera and I went to a silent disco, you know, like people just went to whatever different stuff that was important to them. Um, and there's this like stitching back together that happens at the end of every day in the crew kind of debrief moment. That's cool. Um, any yeah, insights from those, um, those events? Like mm. what, well, I mean, as a facilitator, you're, um, I'm assuming just like around to help or, you know, like, you know, providing support, but like, were you able to see what people were doing? What, like, what yeah. was, what was going on? Um, yeah. What kind of things did people come up with? That would be really interesting. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, there's so much to say about that. One is um, I much, 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 much prefer to show up in someone's session. So team power dynamics or something and hear them describe the challenges that they're facing in their team. And throw in my advice and my ideas, my experience, and then hear what they have to say and the other people in the room have to say and like blend it together. And sure, I'm a bit of a like rent person. I can take up a little bit too much space, I'm sure. But it's so much more enjoyable to like participate in a conversation with people's live questions compared to like me doing a presentation on the topic. You know, totally. it's just like so much more, so much more gratifying, I think, for everyone involved. Um, so a bunch of us are just like moving through the different sessions and just like participating like anyone else would apart from maybe taking up a little bit more space. <laughs> um, so that's one thing that's happening. I think the other thing, again, a like general principle is I think these sessions went really well because of who was there. You know, they're all like community builder types. And so they've got a lot of facilitation skills. Right. If you're working with people that have less of that, um, something that we've done is like we made like a two-page facilitation cheat sheet. Like mm. if you want to talk about a topic, it's 
just getting a random number of people together for an hour to talk about that topic without any kind of structure is probably not going to be the most exciting thing you can do. Read this cheat sheet. If you want, we're available, like call us aside for one of them in one of the meal times or something. And like, we'll just help you think through how to make that session more participatory, more interesting, like more dynamic than just being a bunch of nerds talking about a thing in the abstract. Um, and it's simple, you know, it's this thing, it doesn't take that much to go from kind of boring, dry, deadening conversation to something that feels really lively and really engaging. It's like change modes, you know, like put an interesting question in the room and say, everyone take two minutes to write by yourself, just quietly write by yourself what you think about this question and then share with your neighbor. And then we'll talk about it. You know, like just, um, okay, we've been talking in an unstructured way for 20 minutes. What happens if we break out into small groups or we pair up and we go for walks or, you know, just add just a little bit of variety to what's going on um, and give people, give more people more chance to speak to each other or more chance, like I said, for quiet reflection, like just shifting modes a little bit. This makes these conversations so much better. So that's another thing that the hosting team is available for. And it didn't feel like we needed it this time, but um, in other groups it really is needed. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's something about uh, this, um, this setup that almost feels a little bit like uh, what it's like to be in a family. Um, I don't know, like, uh, like everybody gets a little bit of um, attention and gets to like play their role. Um, and, but everybody realizes that everybody else has a role um, to play. I don't know. There's um, something there, but that that's, it's cool because you do want to make it. Yeah. These di different and interesting dynamics that aren't just like feel very corporate. Um, so that's cool. Was there any, were there any really weird sessions? <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I just, I, I don't think I have a very good filter for weirdness anymore. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've, I've kind of lost lost my sense of norms um I can talk about some weird stuff I was just I just wanted to I had something I wanted to talk about maybe it'll come back if I rest for a second oh yeah before I get to the weird stuff I have a um I guess a, a theory about events which is the content is the least interesting thing like you need just enough content to provoke interesting conversations and new connections to form. Like in, in the training stuff, we did all of this therapeutic stuff. We did stuff about power dynamics, about conflict and feedback and decision-making and project management, all this like, okay, you can't learn all that stuff in a few half day trainings. Like you learn that stuff in five or 10 years of experience. Mm. So it's a joke to imagine that we can train you in that. Our job is not to fill you with the knowledge. Our job is to make give you a context where you're going to connect with what you already know on the topic. You're going to connect with people that have shared interest to you. You're going to form relationships. They're going to go the distance and they're going to support you in your learning journey over the next few years. Like that's much more, we're going to give you opportunities to practice a little bit, you know? Um, so like this open space thing, you're going to practice your own kind of leadership of like, Oh, I'm nervously going to host this thing. Who wants to come? <laughs> like, the actual experience, the actual content of the experience is more about forming the connections that are going to, going to go the distance than it is about like how awesome any one of these particular sessions was. I think yeah. that, that's, that's the important thing to land. And that like, again, that's the coffee that happens at the, during the break time in the conference is you found someone who like, we're going to collaborate together. We're going to write a paper together. We're going to start a business together. That's what's interesting about gathering. You know, it's forming new social fabric. 
Yep. It's not like I got the idea that I needed. That doesn't usually happen at a conference. <laughs> it usually happens in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like the whole the whole like set of experiences, the 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 the, the whole learning journey is a set of experiences over time. Um, and so the idea is more like, yeah, building out infrastructure, whether it's social infrastructure or even like resources or like uh, a new heuristic within which to, to do the experience learning over time, you know, where it changes it and makes it easier or makes it make more sense or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. My, my, uh, one of the sort of um, taglines, I guess, that I use for micro solidarity is that what we're doing is weaving the social fabric that underpins our shared infrastructure. And I think like that is not just about community building. That's like what's going wrong in the world is our social fabric is threadbare and our infrastructure is now going with it. And if we don't have the social, if we don't have that social fabric, like in a resilient and like self-repairing kind of mode, which is what all those traditional cultures were doing, our shared infrastructure is going to go to shit. Yeah. It already is. Yeah. Like, and, 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 and so like the other line is just like people before projects, you know, like we're trying to build these relationships of solidarity and mutuality and we trust that good stuff will emerge. You know, you're all ad- activated people with all of these projects about like fixing the climate or resolving racial justice or whatever the thing is that you're doing. That's all good. Like do that, but don't let that concrete goal get in the way of, taking care of yourself and each other and like just having a nice time with good people. <laughs> it is so funny too. Like a lot of the, the things that um, I advocate for um, that would solve climate change or something like that, or like solve, I don't know, um, you know, social strife or whatever polarity um, are like these things that are just like be normal I mean like be nice to one another like be thought be a thoughtful neighbor like you know these kinds of things that are like I mean they just sound so stupid when you say them out loud but they really are like the building blocks and so it's it's I I don't know I really love the idea of an in-person event because you can show how that works in practice um to like care about one another to make connection to foster connections or to provide the containers like you were saying to foster these connections and then people leave and understand that fundamentally and hopefully um yeah put a little bit more emphasis on the relationships fundamentally you know i think that's what it comes down to not and and the things that i advocate for not just relationships with human but relationships with your family and your your kids and uh, a landscape etc but um yeah, it's hard to, to explain. The experience is yeah. really important. Yeah. And, and another part of the theory, I guess, is like, there's a way of being where you see yourself as an individual, you know, where you see, where you see the nodes in the graph. Yeah. Um, and there's another way of being, which is where you see yourself as a collection of relationships, where you're seeing the, the lines on the graph, the edges, you know. And, and it seems like from my outsider's perspective on indigeneity, or like from, again, outsider's perspective on complexity, it seems like the job is about how do we get people to see that they are a a nexus of connections. They're not a a node. They're not an individual like disconnected thing that then occasionally comes into contact with others. Like all we are is relationships. There is no, you know, primal state of like a human being that kind of exists in space as a free floating atom. It's like, no, (laughs) you came from something else. (laughs) I mean, either you have to do LSD 
or you have to go to a place where you are that and feel that you know that those are that's my very strong contention like you either have to experience it yeah. or you have to do mushrooms or whatever um well this is this this event that i'm describing has the same effect on people as a guided mushroom trip yeah i think so it sounds like and it, it just feels a bit safer yeah yeah or like more and, predictable or less chaotic or something and wholesome I mean, it's just fundamentally really wholesome to feel like this sense of connection. Um, okay, uh, do you have last thoughts on this particular event that you want to share? Because I want to use your brain to ask you some Doomer Optimism community building questions. Sure, um, let me think. Thank you so, so much. I'm like so obsessed with all the details. And I, and I do think that that is, um, I think the details matter a lot. Um, there's this school of thought and facilitation world that everything speaks. So like, for example, Lana Yelenev, who was like one of our co-hosts, she is really into like essential oils and stuff. And when the hosting team was coming together, she had her box of all these different scents. And she's like, I want you guys to compose a unique smell for our collaboration. And so each of us that went through the box and found a smell that we like, and we put it together into this like awesome thing. And then we're like, um, you know, have one of those spritzer things that like puts the smell into the room. So when people arrive every day, they're not just coming into the same space, they're coming into the same scent. And now like <laughs> for all time, we can give someone that recipe and say, if you put these essential oils together and you smell that, you're going to be transported exactly back to that moment. Like that was just so mind blowing to me. I never would have conceived of such an incredible technology for forming memories. And that's just coming from attention to detail. And it's like yeah. the whole way through the whole event, there's five of us plus everyone else who has their own skills as well, being super attentive to like, how do we create an experience that's like just as nourishing as it possibly can be. Mm. So there's, there's so much more to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think it is also hard um, to some extent to explain it all, but that, that example is so good. Um, it's not just about like having good vibes. It's about like empathy. It's about like caring for people and like thinking about um, what your goals are and, you know, ha having these, thinking of really thoughtful ways to, 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 to build tools, to get whatever goal you're, you're seeking and um, putting yourself in the, in the, the minds and experience of other people. Um, fundamentally. Yeah. I think that is what it comes down to with community building is, is like having <laughs> empathy and, and uh, care. I mean, so that's so cool. What a, what a great tool. And I think, it seems like the event was just filled with little thoughtful things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think like zooming out a few clicks, what we're trying to do, or at least what I'm trying to do, it's less about like saving the world, you know, less about this utopian thing, less about like less urgency, less like, oh God, we need to change everything right now. I don't know what needs to be changed and I don't know in which sequence, like, I don't know what needs to change, but I think, I think the world is in a more precarious position than it was when my parents were my age. And I'm not going to, I'm not planning to have kids, but if I did, and a lot of the other people there do have kids, like, I think the job is basically to set them up so that the world is slightly more healthy as they're our age than it is now. Like that's the job. It's not save the world. It's like, 
learn how to raise generations that are kind of like spiraling up. They're trying to like mundling along in the right direction. Totally. And so, so much of this, what we're doing here is just like trying to get people to drop the urgency and actually find what's important, not what generates the most anxiety or the most moral panic, but like what's actually important. And a lot of it is like, it's nice when it smells nice in the room. That's actually important. <laughs> like I keep opening and closing the window in here because the temperature is actually important. <laughs> you yeah. know? Like it actually makes a difference. Um, there's all this material stuff that's actually important. And we're trying to get people to see that. So yeah, a million more details to, to talk about, but I feel like I have to press pause at some random okay, point. So okay. there. Um, <laughs> yeah, one, one final thought on that. I actually do think that the urgency and the hysteria um, gets in the way of like <laughs> sayings, I want to save the world gets in the way of saving the world. Like, because you're so hysterical, I've talked to people and said like, you know, let's just start incrementally. And they're like, but it's not enough. So then they won't even start the one incremental thing. Um, I increasingly feel like this, that's a spiral down mentality. Um, yeah. And, and when you tell people like, it's just something as mundane as, you know, like focusing on your, your interiority, your garden, your family, you know, your closest relationships in life. Um, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize the power of that. It really just scales if we're all just spiraling up in that way. Um, but yeah. it's, again, like we were saying, a very unsexy um, <laughs> message. But, I mean, well, I mean, that's part of the job is to try and make it sexier, I think. So, so for me, the way that I try to make it sexier is think, again, coming back to this fractal scale thing, that everyone Everyone has different competencies, like you're saying about the way that you fit into the family. Everyone has got a different part to play. Everyone's a different instrument in the orchestra. And, and there's, a, like, there's like a specific set of competencies when it comes to like holding a group of 150 people or holding a group of 15 people or five people. And, and this is the thing that's transferable, I think, to like all kinds of events. It's like if you let people know explicitly, the main job here is for you to find your crew or at least to find one other person that you're going to collaborate with in future. And like, that's what you're doing here. It's not about giving the best ideas. It's just finding people that you want to keep collaborating with and you want to learn from, and they're going to take care of you and give you support. And ideally you'll find three or four of them. And that's like an amazing, it's an amazing little unit. Um, and what you find is when you get a crew of four or five people, all kinds of struggle and strife comes up because like I said, we've been trained as individuals and we're learning how to be in relationships and it's hard, right? And there's a bunch of people that know how to do it and there's a bunch of people don't. So you've got to sort of like figure out what, what scale am I best suited for at the moment? And a lot of people, they're best suited for like just figuring out the scale of five, maybe 15. Uh, 150 is like, I'm sure there's like a few hundred thousand people in the world that know how to host a group of that size, but I don't think there's like tens of millions of them. Mm. Um, and, and they have a particular set of needs. And, they, and and I think a lot of those are the people that you have on your show and like people that are, that, that are in conversation together are like, we kind of know how to work with a community of that scale. And once we have critical mass of those people who know each other in a relationship with each other, then we can start thinking about 50,000 people or, or, or like a million people. But it's this like deliberate process of measuring every step up the ladder of scale from one person to 10 billion people and then all the other like non-human creatures we're in relationship with too. You, you can skip one or two of the steps, but you can't skip from like, oh, there's my two friends that we really think veganism is important. And now we're going to change the entire planet somehow. Like <laughs> there's so many steps in between that. Um, and you need to kind of like figure out which, which step of the ladder you're playing at. But the inspiring part is it is a ladder. 
you know, like it is actually all, or if you don't like the ladder, it is this nested circles, you know, like it is this connected fabric that does extend and does have some kind of coherence. Yep. And it, and it like, you are part of something meaningful, even if the thing that you're focused on is quite small. It's like, yeah, my fingertip is quite small, but it can also do a lot of good, you know, because it's attached to this whole other organism. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So selfishly, um, the, you know, I, I am worried about, like genuinely worried about doomer optimism uh, or just like the, the community and group of people that come out of it, like growing too fast or like gaining too much interest too fast without us like building um, all of us taking responsibility to build competencies to like onboard almost. Um, so, um, or to like think of useful projects and it doesn't just become this like hysterical mimetic thing where like people misinterpret it and it just like turns into all sorts of weird things which happens with humans um so one idea we've been having is to like host these meetups um jason's been doing it with some people in appalachia where it's like a work day on their on his property um, and I've done these things before. And I think the expectation is like, you do a work day on my property, then we'll all take turns. And then there's some like egalitarian stuff with it. Um, you get to determine what the work is. And, um, and that's really nice. Um, and then people gain some competencies. Um, I'm wondering, like, just your initial thoughts on that and or other ideas for like, you know, besides the podcast and the Substack and like people just sort of building relationships by seeing each other here, which is what I'm like explicitly hoping um, that it's not about like me or Jason or anyone who's hosting really. It's about like just <laughs> putting the signal out in the world that you're some person that somebody else might want to attach to and start building something with. But I think people do lack that sort of activation energy to like reach out in the DMs or say like, can I come to your place and see what your operations like, which is the opposite of me. I'm like always trying to meet up with people and I'm not shy about it at all. Cause I think it's so fun. Um, but I think a lot of people are more shy about that kind of thing. So yeah, thoughts, how to get people that activated more. Um, first couple of thoughts are, I think you're right. The risk of scaling too fast. Um, where, where people have connected over a shallow sense of shared understanding. It's just like a very likely negative outcome. It's, it's, you can really imagine this, like at the moment it feels like this growing wave and you can easily just imagine it kind of like <laughs> splashing out on a rock and not really achieving anything. Um, if it is about, we have shared ideas and we have all of the same lingo. Right. We listen to the same podcast. We all think this person and that person are really cool to listen to. Like that is not likely to be something you know, as inspiring as it could be. Yeah. I mean, it could be, it could be a, you know, a failed movement in the right direction that, that gives people some, some kind of sense of progress and like, great. But I think it can be so much more. Um, and so I think, yeah, I, I, I just agree that it's important. I also want to celebrate you and Jason particularly, and I know the whole like network, but the way that you have shared ownership of what this platform is and how, what it means is just like so inspiring. Like, I feel like I, I usually show up as the teacher on collaboration and networks <laughs> and stuff. And I'm like so much the student on this one. It's really, oh, really amazing. So nice. to, really amazing to witness. I don't know um, where that came from, but obviously obviously you're bringing a lot of that energy into the room. And I think, so that's, that's already, you're already doing it. Basically, there's already a lot of people that feel a sense of ownership in this, which is greater than 
if it was just like one or two people owning a podcast and saying what the what the story is but still there's so much more to connect over than shared stories yeah although stories are nice you know don't get me wrong um i think what comes to mind is like my hobby horse of just attend to all the scales so if you're gonna have um yeah this thing where people come over to the farm and there's like 50 people and they stay for the weekend or something make sure that some of the time those 50 people are broken down into groups of four you know um and and so on like in these different scales so that there's just more surface area for the mixing and the connections and the relationships to form and it's and it's less about like the stage on the stage or like whatever like that there's just more there's more bumping spaces um and 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 also i guess the other thing i see you know you're always bringing this beautiful critical um take on technology I, yeah, I kind of want to celebrate how technology can support wholesome social norms. Um, and, and, and like there is this culture that we're experiencing in microsolidarity and in other related networks. Like it is really good for people and it is spreading online. Like yeah. there's a bunch of people specifically on Twitter that have realized that Twitter is a dating app for making friends and building meaningful friendships not just like this shallow like what i call interactive tv you know it's not just entertainment it's like actual people's actual lives and they can connect and like become of benefit to each other and 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 encourage each other in their life mission and their path and like support each other when they're down and celebrate when they're up yeah like you can use twitter for that and 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 like you and jason and other people that have this like um bigger audience like more attention is coming in on you the things that you model are going to be so instructive for everyone else. So like, I already see you all over Twitter having a great time and modeling, like this is a place to have fun and talk about interesting stuff and like plan actions. So like just people tracking that and knowing that's a thing that you can do. I think um, it'd be really awesome. I don't know if you already have, but to get Visa on the show and get yeah, them talking yeah. about scene we building. Did. Yeah. Okay, great. Because people, people need to know that digital spaces are like a funnel to get you towards physical spaces. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so I would be thinking about like what kinds of action are meaningful for people that have a small amount of time that are geographically distributed um, that care about this stuff and they want to have a sense of like taking a, a next step in terms of commitment and ownership. Like what can they do? It might be a reading club. It might be um, an online course that we take together and we, we get together once a week to talk about it, whatever it is. Like it's probably going to be somewhat in the abstract <laughs> to start with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there could be, like if I was like the Duma Optimism community manager or something, I would be holding like a calendar, which is like some kind of process where we say, like I, like I described at the event, we have this open space agenda, you know, it's like, what are all the projects that are looking for collaborators right now? Like, here's some ideas that we have, like spend the first day priming everyone with like what we think are interesting things to do. Like these are the book clubs that are currently happening or whatever, um, and have a way for people to propose stuff that they want to host and find people that want to join in with them. And the idea with the calendar is that like, say, say for example, we're going to initiate 10 small reading groups on these 10 different books and it's all going to happen in January and they're going to meet every two weeks for three months or something. And then at the end of March, we're going to have a big online plenary session where people will share what did they think was so amazing about their book, whatever. I'm just, you know, riffing on yeah. stuff in my head about this, but there's some kind of sense of synchronization so that the small experience where you're actually feeling your belonging muscles get activated 
uh, is connected to the larger thing. You know, that mm. there's, there's like some, some larger context and you've got this like accumulation of, ah, I'm a little, I'm a little fish in a big school and the school is really nice and I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Almost like, yeah. I, and I can imagine so many versions of this, like, like a, a workshop meetup group, coming and sharing like their their experience and just like laughing about it and having fun and and just like modeling that like look look at how fun this this event was like we should have more people doing stuff like that um i love the idea of the calendar uh one other practical question like how do you move from online spaces to in real life spaces safely <laughs> i mean like you know there are enough people in the doomer optimism collective let's just call it who i are like are proven safe people to me um i i know them now like even if it's just online um and i can like i i, I there are like a group of people i could vouch for but like if you just make it like an open discord server anyone can join anyone can set up an event how do we know that people who are setting up events there are not inviting crazy people to their houses yeah yeah um that's really important i think one of the other things about the event that I described that's probably not obvious is it was kind of expensive to join. Mm. Like um, I had a bunch of pushback from people saying like, this is not accessible. And it's like, okay. Um, I know that there's another way to organize an event that would be super cheap and more accessible and more people could come. But one of the reasons that we put a, a decent price on it is because we're paying professionals to do the hard work of looking after community safety. You know, it's not easy. Yeah. There's like, people basically predators come to these kind of gatherings all the time right because the people who are most easily victimized are the ones who are like looking for purpose and looking for community totally so like community safety is so challenging and takes a lot of energy and resource to do it properly and that's one of the reasons it costs a lot of money to do an event like this like we've got five professionals in the room you know yeah. um and they're helping to you know, like this little thing about the, the captain logistics hat. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a simple detail, but there's other details about like, how do we keep the psychopaths out or at least keep them contained? You know, that this is, this is like a nuanced bunch of skills that you develop over time. So I guess I would be, I really like Twitter as this like open wild west. There is no law. There is no, like the only law is you can, you can block people. Um, you can't really exclude people in any other way. And that, that to me feels really great that it's a, a bumping space. It's kind of chaotic. up. You meet people. Some people you're like, oh, you're a creep. You block them. Don't have to see them anymore. Um, everything else, when it comes to like physical meetups, I think my bias is always like keep them small. And, and if you can make them biased towards invite only. Mm. And so that you're gradually accumulating a network of people that are vouching each other. And that like the more, like the deeper the sense of commitment and collaboration the more you're going to have to start building accountability structures and like conflict management structures and safety structures. Like that yeah. just, that's just what community needs. Again, it's like, that's why traditional communities have things like moral codes and police forces, you know, like. Yeah. We, we need, yeah. And being naive about that is not going to make it go away. So yeah, it's good to be very intentional, I think, and explicit about that. Yeah. That, that all sounds good. Um, it's exciting. You're going to have to be like our, um, maybe whisper, feel free to whisper in my ear if you have like, see something or see like a potential for something to go in some direction. And not, not just you, Rich, but like anyone listening to this, yeah. like, I'm 
basically just just intuit using my intuition for this yeah. <laughs> super optimism in general i'm just like you sound great let's talk you know and just like uh, drawn towards other wholesome things and and signal boosting that and just like wanting to make friends with people who are great that, that's basically my whole <laughs> guiding force here so it's not um it's it's I, it could be more intentional and so i'm open mm. to suggestion with that um mm. okay any last thoughts um as we wrap up this conversation yeah um yeah i guess like just a a challenge to everyone listening to this series of podcasts is like it's it's, it's up to each of you to figure out what your action is and probably your action will be more effective if you do it with others so like use this network to find the others and it might be tiny. Like I said, a book club, like that's actually a great thing to do. Like if you're meeting once a week with some interested peers, like two or three people that care about the book that you care about and you're thinking about it together and like exploring your life experiences together, like that is a contribution that is building social fabric and it, and it like lays the foundation for something more impressive in the future. But like, don't wait for the most amazing dream project and the most amazing dream collaborators. Just start where you are and like gradually accelerate in the right direction. Mm. I want to say that, I think. Um, and then also like, my role in the system maybe is yeah I'm a fiend for community structure and for like self-organizing networks and decentralized teams and all this sort of stuff and I love 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 talking about it all the time <laughs> um so don't send me an email don't send me a dm but do talk to me in public on twitter about whatever whatever kind of community structure challenges, culture challenges you're facing, I'm always interested. And I'm, I'm saying that as well, because this is the other like challenge to the audience is like, if you're doing something good, do it in public, let yeah. people see it. Yep. Even if it's crap, you know, if it feels good to you, do it in public and other people can copy. Everyone's just like looking for, how do I be around here? And if we model like the way that you be around here is you do your cool little project and you show it off. <laughs> then more people will do cool little projects and show it off. And learning and learning in public, which I think is basically what you're doing today, right now in this podcast, like almost yeah. thinking through the things that you are learning from this experience out loud. I think a, a lot of people don't realize the power of that. Like it's so, it's crazy powerful to just like model that you don't know everything already and that you're, you yourself are also incrementally changing. Um in spiraling up that's what life looks like <laughs> um, <laughs> incremental change yeah um, maybe the last the last um, kind of pitch thing is the website microsolidarity.cc that has like all the open source resources on how to do this stuff um the other website is thehum.org if you need like professional training and facilitation and then my twitter is rich decibels so find me there for like continuing this conversation even though we're not synchronized anymore. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, Rich. This was lovely. Um, uh, yeah. Well, I'm going to stop recording now.